evening everyone. Welcome to another Wednesday midweek study. Today we're going to be in the Gospel of John. We're going to be in chapter 19. We're going to be continuing on in the story of uh, what Pastor Juan was speaking about last week, which is Jesus's trial. So before we go in, before we get into what's happening right now, we're just going to pray. Father, we pray that you would speak to each and every one of us through your word tonight, that you would glorify your name as uh, we read through your word, that you'd speak to each and every one of us, including myself, that you'd give me the words to say, and that you'd hold me back from saying things that you don't want me to say. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as a quick catch-up, Jesus has uh, stood before <clears throat> the unjust Jewish trial. So, he's gone through that. He's now standing before Pilate, who really, at this point, <clears throat> he's quite plainly put out that he doesn't find Jesus guilty. He said that he's not guilty, that he's an innocent man. He's even tried to have him released under a custom of, hey, you know, once a year I release someone. Would you like me to re release uh, this Jesus? Um, and uh, all of the uh, Jewish leaders are like, no, we would rather have Barabbas, a murderer, and this person who, th it, clearly, this man is deserving of punishment, and especially when you pin him up against Jesus Christ, the man who is completely sinless and who has done nothing. And they pair the two of those up, and they would rather that Jesus suffer than, um, than Barabbas, who actually uh, is deserving of a just sentence. But the Jewish leaders are relentless in their pursuit of Jesus being persecuted. So we begin John chapter 19, verse 1, with, Then Pilate had Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip. The soldiers wove a crown of thorn and thorns and put it on his head, and they put a purple robe on him. Hail, King of the Jews, they mocked, as they slapped him across the face. Wait, Pilate has said that Jesus is innocent, and now he's having him flogged? Why? Jesus is innocent. Pilate stated that. Pilate knows that, obviously, because he's just said that he sees Jesus as innocent. What on earth is happening? Why is Jesus being flogged? Flogging served multiple purposes. Flogging was for punishment for crimes. That could be your punishment. It was, oh, you know, you're going to be flogged this many times. It was also used for confession. And these are all Roman customs. Now, it's also potentially for a confession of, all right, we believe you're probably guilty, so we're just going to keep going here and you, you need to confess. Or it was there to simply weaken a prisoner. But all of these things, the reasoning for doing this, required a just cause. But the problem is, Pilate's already stated that Jesus is innocent. There's no recourse for this. There's no reasoning why this should be happening, apart from one thing. The people demand blood, and they demand that Jesus is crucified. And so Pilate begins this attempt at appeasement. He's like, well, uh, Jesus should be released, but the people are demanding another thing, and I, I have to be a man of the people. 
I, I need to administer justice, but at the same time, what good is that if people don't like me? And so, Pilate is then stuck and decides, you know what, I'm going to try and do both. We're not going to kill Jesus, you know, that would be totally unjust. But what we will do is we will beat him within an inch of his life. That's basically what Pilate is doing here. He's required to administer justice, which means Jesus needs to be let go. But in the hopes of appeasing the people, he compromises. Pilate begins to flog Jesus. It begins with this beating, with a lead-tipped whip, a multi-strand whip that they would whip prisoners with on the back, and it contained uh, shards of bone and metal in there, and obviously it's got lead in there, and we know lead's not any good. Uh, so each lashing is not just like being whipped with anything. It is literally digging into the skin, and it is tearing it up. Many people died through this sort of a lashing, but they didn't stop there. They didn't just beat him. They went and humiliated him or attempted to humiliate him by giving him a crown of thorns. They gave him this cruel and ironic robe saying, oh, oh, oh you want to be a king then? And so they start doing all of these different things to just try and humiliate him and mock him. They give him a mocking title, calling him, oh, hail, king of the Jews, and they're going in on that. And obviously the Roman soldiers and this, are, for them, it's a chance to just go ahead and beat, the, uh, beat someone up. And as far as they're concerned, Jesus is just another guy, so they're just going to go and beat him up as well. He's beaten and he's mocked and he's ridiculed out of sheer wickedness, out of the wickedness of men. Mark 15 verses 16 to 20 has this account in and it says, The soldiers took Jesus into the courtyard of the governor's headquarters, called the Praetorium, and called out the entire regiment. So an, an entire regiment of guys are now coming out to beat Jesus. They dressed him in a purple robe and they wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head. Then they saluted him and taunted, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him on the head with a reed stick spit on him and dropped to their knees in mock worship. When they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him again. And then it continues on there. But then in Matthew 27, verses 27 to 30, we have the account again, which says, Some of the governor's soldiers took Jesus into their headquarters and called out the entire regiment. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. They wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head and they placed a reed stick in his right hand as a scepter. Then they knelt before him in mockery and taunted, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him and grabbed the stick and struck him on the head with it. So you see in these accounts, you see just the wickedness of these Roman soldiers and ultimately the wickedness of the Jewish leaders that they say, yeah, we want that to happen to him, but that isn't enough. We want more. That... Mark tells us that they did all these things, including um, dropping to their knees in mock worship. Matthew uh, even talks about uh, giving him a scepter in his hand and then taking it off him and beating him with it. The soldiers are mercilessly dishonoring Jesus. And they know how to dishonor because they know the true way to honor a king, which is 
to crown the king, which is to dress him in fine robes, which is to hail, which is to give worship and praise to the king, which is for them to have a scepter that they rule with, that they bow down to, that they drop to their knees before. They knew how to do all these things to a real king, and so they knew how to go about doing this creatively to dishonor someone. And we see all of these things that the Roman soldiers do to dishonor Jesus. But then, how do we honor Jesus in the opposite way? How do we honor him truly as the king? That these soldiers knew how a king truly should be worshipped and they did the opposite. But we should know how to honor the true king of kings. Are we more zealous in our dishonor of Jesus or in our honoring of him? What do we really take delight in? Do we take delight in feeding our flesh and so dishonoring what Christ has endured to save us from? Or do we, are we zealous and do we delight in denying the flesh and honoring Jesus in how we live? Verse 4 says, Pilate went outside again and said to the people, I'm going to bring him out to you now, but understand clearly that I find him not guilty. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said, Look, here is the man. When they saw him, the leading priests and temple guards began shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! Take him yourselves and crucify him, Pilate said. I find him not guilty. Pilate presents a beaten Jesus. Pilate is hoping at this point, he's like, all right, I have beaten this guy to within an inch of his life. I will bring him out, and hopefully they will see what they have done, and that they will take mercy, and that they will say that, that is enough. That's what Pilate's kind of hoping for here, to present a beaten Jesus, and to say, I find this man not guilty. Look, here he is. And for them to see what would have been a very gruesome sight in reality. He's declaring before this presentation, before presenting Jesus, once again, the verdict. Saying, I find him not guilty. Pilate's argued with them before. Luke 23, verses 20 to 22. It says, Pilate argued with them because he wanted to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. For the third time he demanded, Why? What crime has he committed? I have found no reason to sentence him to death, so I will have him flogged, and then I will release him. Pilate's hoping to appease the crowd in this. To say, look, I will beat him, and then I'm going to release him, okay? You have to understand, this guy is innocent. I find this guy innocent. I want nothing more to do with this. I'll beat him. That, that's all I'll do. And then I'm handing him back to you guys. In this form of like, hey, look, I've beaten him. Are you happy now? This is what you've made me do. In those sorts of, um, in that sort of a presentation. But he seeks to distance himself from the cruelty and the wickedness that has been dealt to Jesus. And the reality is, there's no distancing himself. He's, he's gone and he's done something. He's been a part of that. 
Whether he was the one administering those blows or not, he was the one who sanctioned administering those blows. Jesus was there and he was beaten and mocked. And Pilate was the one who allowed that to happen. Pilate was the one who actually said, fine, go ahead, go do that then. That Pilate was trying to, he was having this almost wrestle within him of this trying to appease both the people and to actually do what was right. But the reality is he's already compromised on what was right. He's already compromised on justice. Yet the leaders, in their pure hatred of Jesus, seek for him to be murdered in the most painful way, rather than to show Jesus mercy. They could have still spun this and tried to do something with it, but no, they would rather Jesus died. And they just get carried away in their own sin, then justifying it. Both the leaders and Pilate are both dealing with a pride issue, but they're both dealing with it in a different way. The leaders are justifying their sin, trying to eliminate their guilt. They love themselves more than they love the Lord. They don't truly want Jesus to be king, even though they've seen all the evidence of it. They deny it because they don't like what it means for them. And so they show their love for themselves more than their love for the Lord, more than their love for God, more than Jesus actually being the true Messiah. And so, because of their love for self, and because they have fed that, it has led to sin. It has led to, to even further sin. It's led to murder. Some, something which they themselves would turn around to other people and go, Oh no, you mustn't murder. No, that's against the Ten Commandments. But yet they go and do it and they justify it. They justify that murder. We must be careful of our own pride. We're just going to seek to justify sin in our own lives. It may not necessarily be for murder, but it will be for other things, very commonly. It's a slippery slope, that's the problem with sin. It's a slippery slope that leads to them justifying their own sin. And it's going to lead to us justifying our own sin. Once we start justifying our sin, we're going to just continue that snowball of justifying more and more sin until you realize that you're just in so deep in sin and you're blind to it. Matthew 6 verses 22 to 23, Jesus says, Your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is bad your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. And that is the present state of the religious leaders at this point. How deep that darkness is, that they have justified murdering an innocent man. Because him being flogged and beaten wasn't enough for them. In their cruelty and in their hatred of Jesus, the Messiah, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, they have demanded that he be crucified. We're going to seek to justify sin in our own lives. It might not be in the same way that these guys are doing it right at that point. It might not be something that we're wrestling with right now as to whether to murder someone. 
But those things begin. Those things begin in our hearts. We begin to hate people. We begin to hate people. We begin to think of murder. And before we begin to hate people, we begin that road just a little bit further on where there's that disdain for the person. And all of a sudden you realize that things have gotten out of control, but you're already much further on down the line. It's just going to get worse and worse the more that we feed our flesh, the more that we feed that sin in our lives. The reality is we need God's truth in our lives because his word tells us plain and simple how we should be living. It tells us plain and simple what sin is. You just need to go to Galatians 5 verses 19 to 21 or 1 Corinthians 6 verses 9 to 10 or James 4 verse 17 or countless other places in the Bible that clearly tell us what sin is. We have it very clearly written out for us, spelled out there. But then we also have our relationship with the Lord where we should be spending time with him that he will then speak to us of those things that might not be clearly stated there, might not be clearly stated in black and white in the pages that we might be reading, but it's still something that we can say, actually, even though I'm not specifically looking at a verse in the Bible to say, this, it clearly states it here, this is wrong, I know that this is wrong, so I shouldn't do it, because I have his Holy Spirit convicting me. I have his Holy Spirit warning me. I have my conscience which tells me, this is wrong, and I know this is wrong. We have God's truth to tell us what is right and what is wrong. James 7 verses 14 to 15 says, Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. We mustn't allow sin to grow. We need Jesus Christ to cleanse us from all wickedness. That is why Christ came, to cleanse us, to wash us clean as the sacrificial lamb. So that sin would not give birth to death in our own lives because each one of us have fallen short of the glory of God, it says in Romans 3. And so we then turn to Jesus, who cleanses us of our sin when we put our trust in him, when we put our trust in the finished work of the cross. And so then, that's great. We are finally in that position of being cleansed, of being made sons and daughters of God. And we're in that position where now, actually, God sees us as he sees his son, Jesus Christ, sinless. And so we seek to live lives that honor him, not to go back and to play with our sin again. Because the problem is that once we start playing with sin again, we find that it snowballs. And that's the problem with sin. It will seek, seek to drag us away. And the Holy Spirit will remind us of his truth and prompt us when we're tempted but though he's doing that for us it's up to us to make the decision right then and there what we will do will we walk in the spirit and honor the lord and how we act or will we give in to our flesh will we give in to our desires and so sin
And there are so many times when I'm tempted to sin, and my flesh will just seek to justify it. To say, it's fine, actually, in this, in, on this occasion, you know, it always will seek to justify it in some way or another. But in truth, and that is the truth, I know what I should or should not be doing in that situation. And so it's my choice, it's my decision that I need to be obedient to the Lord to do what is right. And I'm empowered by his Holy Spirit to go and do that, but I need to actually make that step to move in that direction in his strength then. Because I know that I don't have that strength within me, but to say, Lord, help me please, as I move in obedience. And we know that the Lord is with us. We know that the Lord is going to be helping us to be obedient. And Pilate is where many of us sit at this stage. He knows what is right. He knows what is the right thing to do, but he compromises. He compromises in order to try and serve two masters. People's perception of him, his pride, his flesh, versus what is right, doing justice, letting Jesus go because he is innocent. In compromising, Pilate not only failed to do what is right, but he didn't even satisfy his flesh. He didn't even satisfy people's perception. The people demanded death, and justice demanded life. And so Pilate has these two things that he has to make a choice with. And so Pilate decides, I'm going to compromise here. I'm going to beat Jesus till near death. So they've almost got what they wanted, and justice almost happened. But the reality is, neither justice nor appeasement actually happened. Because justice didn't happen because Jesus was beaten. The fact that Pilate went and did that, he shouldn't have been doing that anyway at that point. He was innocent, he should have just let him go. But he gave in to try and appease the people, to try and serve a master other than what was right, other than justice in Pilate's point. And likewise, it's the same for us when we try and serve the flesh and God. Because the flesh will always give us these things of, oh, you can just do this, it's fine, don't worry about it. But with the Lord, we know what is truth. We know what we should and should not be doing. Matthew 6 verses 24 says, Oh, and it's, this is Jesus speaking. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And that's the reality with God and anything else, because anything else will try to take God's place. And so it is up to us to say no to the flesh. When the flesh is trying to rise up, and trying to be king of our lives, we need to deny it. We need to deny ourselves. Because we can't end up pleasing both. Because they're both completely against each other. The flesh is warring against what is good. The flesh is warring against God himself. And the Lord, he came and he conquered sin and death. The Lord came to set us free. And so we need to make the choice ourselves. 
we must choose who we will serve. Because we cannot go down the road that the Jewish religious leaders went down, where they just justified and justified until eventually it's coming down to something that they would have never dreamed of doing. And we can't do what Pilate did, where he just compromised to try and serve two masters at the same time. And that choice isn't just a momentary thing of just, oh yeah, I'm going to do it, and then it's set. But it is a daily, a daily choice that we need to be making, moment by moment, as different situations come by in our lives, to make the choice of, who am I going to serve here? Am I going to serve my flesh? Or am I going to serve God? Because one, which is the flesh, is going to lead to death, and the other, God himself, is the one who leads to eternal life. He is the one to whom we actually can have a relationship with, the one who is going to help us, the one who gives us blessing upon blessing. Meanwhile, the flesh only robs from us. When we sin, we're robbing from the future to try and please us right now. And the reality is that it's not going to be very fulfilling at all. But with Christ, we know that it will be fulfilling and it will be an abundant life in Christ Jesus. That though it may be a hard road, though it contains us denying ourselves, we know that in the end it is worth it. Because there is joy unspeakable in Jesus Christ himself. While the flesh, the best that it can offer us, is momentary pleasure and happiness. So, we have to choose who we will serve. Let's pray. Father, we just praise you and we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, your goodness to us, for your mercy towards us. Uh, we thank you that um, you empower us by your spirit to live right. We pray that you'd help us uh, not to justify our sin. We pray that you'd help us not to compromise and to try and serve uh, both other people or ourselves, uh, but to actually serve you and you alone. And we ask that you would help us in this and that you would continue to remind us of your word. And uh, we just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.